This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Welcome to Green Pulse, a podcast series by The Straits Times, where we analyze the beats of the changing environment, from biodiversity conservation to climate change. I'm your host Audrey Tan, and I cover science and environment for The Straits Times. My co-host is David Fogarty. Hi, I'm David, and I'm the climate change editor at The Straits Times. Today, I discuss this with Professor Ko Lien Pin, who helms the Center for Nature-Based Climate Solutions at the National University of Singapore. Thanks for joining us today, Lien Pin. Thanks, Audrey. I'm uh, happy to be here. So, based on what we've discussed, we can understand that the growing global demand for carbon credits is sort of like creating a market for things that were previously not considered profitable, uh, such as forest conservation. And uh, your centre recently published a paper outlining the commercial potential of such projects worldwide. So maybe you can share a bit more about your findings. Yeah, sure. I will uh, just uh, maybe highlight a few points. Um, What we did was we came up with a carbon prospecting map, uh, which is a map, uh, a wall-to-wall map across the tropical regions of the world, including Central and South America, the African continent, and uh, Southeast Asia, essentially. Um, And this map shows us where are the highest concentrations of uh, so-called investable carbon forest sites. And by investable, we mean that these forest sites are both uh, carbon-rich, they contain uh, high densities of forest-based carbon, as well as, uh, as, as being under imminent threat of loss. And, and that threat of loss is a very important consideration because it makes sure it, it makes sure that uh, uh, the the forest sites are would, would would contribute or would satisfy this criterion of additionality uh, that is required for them to be uh, for the products of those sites the offsets to be sold in voluntary carbon markets. Um, so um, we found that the highest potential. Um, comes from uh, Central South America as well as Southeast Asia. And in fact, uh, we find that within uh, Southeast Asia, or rather within the Asia-Pacific region, um, the, if, if we invest, if businesses and countries invest in protecting these threatened forests, uh, they can generate uh, a return on investment of up to almost 25 billion US dollars per year every year for the next 30 years. That's for the whole region. Um, And that's based on a very conservative uh, carbon pricing scenario of about $5.80 per tonne of carbon. Um, And of course, if the uh, carbon prices increase, then the the value of these these, uh, carbon projects would also increase. And and interestingly, we we found that um, for Indonesia alone, um, that country, if, if, we, if the country invests in protecting their threatened forests, uh, the return on investment of doing so can be as high as 10 billion US dollars per year, again, every year for the next uh, 30 years. Um, so, so there is, so, and, and these are profits, these are net profits uh, that accounts for the cost of establishing and operating those projects. So, so these, these simple uh, analysis uh, tells us that um, nature-based climate solutions are not only important for climate change mitigation, not only important for the many co-benefits that they can deliver, but they can also potentially be a new uh, type of uh, green growth, uh, a new type of economic uh, opportunity for, for countries and businesses 
in the uh, in these tropical regions. So it's no longer a gold rush, but I guess a carbon one and one that um, um, you know could be worth fifty or hundred billion dollars. Some people have said uh, by twenty thirty. Um, but how will Singapore um, make money from this? And you know the new climate uh, impact exchange um, along with it. Um, so I, I think there are two two business two main business cases um, for for setting up this climate uh, impact X or carbon exchange in Singapore. The first is um, Singapore itself uh, needs to be sourcing for credible, high quality carbon credits to meet our own demands you know, for us to achieve uh, our net zero goals in the next uh, 10 years or even shorter than that, nine years uh, for, for many of the businesses right, who have already announced their net zero uh, uh, targets or ambitions. So the climate impact uh, exchange is important for us to uh, to have a platform, um, a very transparent way of sourcing for these high quality credits uh, from the region primarily, uh, because we you know we are located uh, right in the in the in the in the middle of uh, of this uh, uh, Southeast Asian region where there are still lots of uh, intact natural ecosystems. Uh, uh, remaining, as well as a lot of potential for reforesting and rehabilitating and degraded lands. So, first business case is for us to 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 to, uh, to source for our for credits for our own use for our own uh, offsetting use. The second uh, business case is to um, I guess help help the rest of the region or help the countries and businesses in in this part of the world and indeed maybe beyond this part of the world. To, to source for their, uh, their high quality credits, right? to meet their demands. And in doing so, uh, Singapore acting as a, a trading hub uh, to facilitate this trade of, of carbon offsets can, um, well, as a trading hub, uh, create that new uh, um, uh, opportunity, economic opportunity, as well as uh, secondary industries, uh, because in in setting up this uh, carbon trading platform and in ensuring that the quality of the credits uh, would be high, uh, we would also need uh, uh, you know, a set of, of secondary industries, including auditors, including uh, new technology companies that can use technology to help uh, monitor um, these carbon projects in the region and so on and so forth. Uh, so I think in those two ways, um, the carbon exchange uh, makes a lot of sense uh, for Singapore. Now, if you like what you're hearing so far, do subscribe to our series Green Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. Now, there's been a lot of damage to ecosystems in recent decades, as we've all seen. Um, so there's a feeling that time is running out to protect nature, particularly in this part of the world. Um, so are you seeing the interest, you know, the willingness of governments in this region to protect what's left um, and, to, and to use carbon finance to help save threatened ecosystems? Um, are they sold on carbon offsetting? For example, you, you gave the example that um, Indonesia could uh, uh, benefit, I think, a net $10 billion for over 30 years by protecting um, forests, you know, rainforests, for example. So have you seen that interest from regional governments? Yes, I have seen the interest from regional governments to uh, take more seriously uh, the business case for uh, nature-based climate solutions or protecting uh, forests and biodiversity in the region. 
partly because of climate change and partly because of the uh, the, the the biodiversity loss that we are experiencing in this region. But I think there are two. I see two two barriers to to um, to the uptake of 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 this uh, of nature based climate solutions uh, in the region still. The, the first is um, the very high opportunity cost of, of other land uh, use activities in the region. Um, for example, um, you know, Southeast Asia is famous for our oil palm industry, uh, as well as our pulp and paper industry. And these are two very high yielding uh, industries in terms of their land rent, the amount of uh, revenue or profits they can generate on a per hectare basis. So for us to, for nature-based solutions to compete with these other land use activities, uh, if, if based purely on the uh, carbon finance mechanism, then uh, carbon prices will have to uh, uh, be much higher than, than it, is, it is today, not much higher than five or six dollars per tonne. Um, we, we did run some analysis on this and we find that it is possible, but it would have to be you know, at least uh, five or six times uh, the, its, its carbon price uh, today for, for uh, you know, nature-based kind of climate solutions to, to be implementable and to be competitive against uh, the current uh, lucrative land users uh, in, in Southeast Asia. That's the first uh, barrier. The second barrier, I think, um, comes more from the the regulatory perspective. Um, I think there are some regulators um, who are still quite cautious about uh, nature-based uh, carbon credits as a, a way of um, uh, to, to help businesses uh, reduce their carbon emissions or meet their net zero emissions goals. Um, for exactly the reasons that we discussed earlier, they are worried about the quality of these credits they are worried about their credibility and, and worried that companies might be using uh, carbon finance or carbon offsets as a way to greenwash uh, their environmental performance um, and, and detract or distract them from investing in actually reducing their fossil fuel use and decarbonizing. So the regulators are watching this carefully and I think a key um, consideration for the regulators would be uh, to what extent we can improve the uh, quality of these carbon credits uh, in, in, in the coming months and years. So thanks for joining us today, Lian Pin. I think it was a great discussion. Uh, thanks, thanks very much, Audrey and David, for having me. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you. Thank you very much. Well, that's a wrap for Green Pulse and we hope you enjoyed our discussion. For more on climate change and the environment, do check out our stories in The Straits Times. And don't forget to subscribe to our Green Pulse podcast series on your favourite audio apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.